You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women Podcast. This is episode number 322. I'm your host, Noel Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. I'm here with Stephanie Ruper, and today we're going to be answering your questions about meal timing. So should you be eating more or less frequently and reasons for shifting meal timing according to your individual health concerns? We'll also be discussing how to naturally raise progesterone levels that have tanked and why they may have tanked and why the BMI scale does not determine your health. And you can go tell the BMI to kick rocks. So it's going to get a little salty. Speaking of salty, before we jump in, this podcast episode is here today in your ears because of Element elementi. Most of you know Steph and I talk a lot about hydration and specifically how electrolytes are an important aspect of hydration that so many people overlook. Water absorption in your body is actually dependent upon the absorption of key electrolytes and you lose electrolytes through sweat and when you go to the bathroom and they have to be replaced through your diet and through supplementation. And that need actually increases significantly if you're exercising regularly, which I know a lot of you are, or if you're following a whole foods diet since it's naturally low in sodium, which I know a lot of you are. So when training, electrolytes are critical for performance. Many athletes feel dehydrated and drink a lot more water. However, this can actually dilute your blood sodium levels even further. This shows up as muscle cramps, headaches, fatigue, sleep disturbances, and electrolytes play a key role in hormone regulation too. So low sodium levels actually spike adrenal hormones like cortisol. Element makes a grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplementation. You just take an Element Recharge Packet, mix it up with water, and sip. There is no sugar, gluten fillers, artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. It's the first of its kind. I've been using Element now for, I think, maybe three months, and on um, just on workout days, and it has made such a difference. I no longer feel like super thirsty or empty throughout the day despite drinking tons of water. I used to just feel like this heaviness in my chest, and now I don't feel that at all. And actually, my workouts have gotten longer and slightly more intense, um, and I feel way better than I ever did. So, And then also, if you're a breastfeeding mom, there's a ton of chatter on the internet about just chatter about a lot of things but in a lot of breastfeeding mom groups and actually some of you have reached out to me talking about how it's improved your supply and this is the best news of all there's a brand new watermelon flavor i am a hundred percent obsessed i make my husband drink the other flavors because i just so look forward to it after a workout especially if it's getting warmer outside like as it's getting warmer outside it's like watermelon is just such a good summery flavor it gets a 10 out of 10 from me. So don't, please don't do the unflavored ones. Don't, you know, just, just go for the watermelon. I promise you, watermelon and raspberry, you're, you're going to love those. So you can grab a free packet of Element, go like a sample packet. I think there is, it's between six to eight in that sample packet. Totally free. Just go to uh, Drink Element. So that's D-R-I-N-K and then Element, L-M-N-T dot com forward slash well-fed. All you have to do is pay shipping and then you can try all the flavors Again, it's drinkelement.com slash wellfed. Click on get yours and then you'll grab yourself all those sample packets. It's a sample box with lots of packets inside. I'm, let me get the terminology correct. And then just to note, the watermelon flavor isn't in the sample boxes, but you can add a box of the watermelon to your order with that sample box. And just to know, after you order the sample box and you want more, go again to drinklmnt.com slash wellfed, and then you can get a value bundle. So add three boxes, and then you get one free, and then you get free shipping on minimum order. So that's the best value. That's the way to like save the most money, is just to buy three boxes and then get the one free. And I just, I'm going to be honest, just go ahead and just get watermelon and raspberry. You won't regret that. So um, again, drinkelement.com slash wellfed. Hello, Stephanie. Speaking of salty. (laughs) 
Speaking of salty, I love that. <laughs> that was wonderful. I liked that so much. Zing. I, I love their marketing. You open it and it's like, this is a salty box. Like, it's very salty. It's very, it's so Rob Wolf. Um, <laughs> like, because he's, I'm sure he, obviously he's a co-founder. So it's just, everything's really funny and quick-witted. So. Okay. Trying cool. to Trying to keep up. Um, so we were having discussions and then we were like, we should just jump on. So talk to me about what's going on in your life. Yeah. A little bit of a discussion. Discussion. Um, <laughs> sesh. Whenever I'm talking to Noelle, I sort of hear words being abbreviated before she even like, you know, I expect you to it's, anyway. I don't even know how <laughs> it happens. It's not like I like, I don't know. It's not, I don't plan that. It just makes it's sense. It's one of one of the many magnificent things about you mm-hmm. yeah um so uh yeah life is after many many months of stephanie's life being more or less very very the same it is now changing very very quickly <laughs> um and a lot of this is very tentative and so don't hold me to it uh but I, my time, my visa, my time in the UK has been kind of, I've been having to think about what to do next, trying to renew my visa here, seeking visas in other European countries, uh, looking at all kinds of options. And what I have decided is that I am just gonna go home. I'm just gonna go home. Probably. I. Mm-mm. I've reserved, uh, you can like fair lock plane tickets and I have three on three different dates. Okay. <laughs> fair <course> lock. <laughs> Trying to optimize the best time to uh, potentially uh, fly back. So uh, tentatively, uh, I will be back in the States around mid-May. And then uh, who knows? Who knows? The other uh, big... Uh, uh, What's a what's a good metaphor here? It's not a rock. I want to use the word bomb. Another mm-hmm. big anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> moving on. <laughs> My brain today. Uh, so I have been applying for jobs. And yeah, it's cool. So lots of change potentially coming, but also, you know, who knows? How do you feel about sort of moving back to the States, not on your own terms? Like, it's kind of been a little bit pushed on you. Are you, like, a, a little bit salty to stay on the theme about that? Or are you feeling like, no, this is a good, I just ne- a good shift. I just kind of needed a kick in, in the pants. I think the kick is actually really good. I definitely went through several weeks of talking with immigration lawyers and trying to figure out options for staying here, feeling some sadness. You know, I I still could have I still could have potentially tried to, you know, make that happen. Right. There there were ways, but um it's just I, I think that that kick is is really good. I was sort of starting to realize as I was having these conversations with people that uh, maybe maybe it's time for like maybe it's time for a change. I'm I'm quite comfortable here, which is wonderful. But if I'm going to make be impactful somewhere, I feel like maybe I can I can do it, be it better in the United States context because I, I, I know it better and uh, can serve it better and uh, the people in my communities and, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a good time, I think, to start a new chapter, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, there, there was there was a lot of like questions. But now it's uh, now I, I've sort of shifted that. Um, into excitement about looking into new options. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Lots of change. Next time we talk, it, you you will, well, maybe not, but you'll definitely be preparing to move. Yep. And do you have a place to live? Because I know your flat was like up for sale. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm moving out of where I currently am in England, like out. I'm currently working my way through getting rid of my things uh, and... Yeah, so I'm hopefully moving on not here. the blankets. <laughs> I, I'm going to keep one. the the two that The two that I get the most benefit from are the same blanket, and they're they're kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I might leave one, find somebody who could really 
love it. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> there, there is some discernment about what stays and what goes. Uh, but yeah, so I'm leaving here and then I will be, uh, tentatively the plan is to go home to be with my uh, family for a little bit. And then I have to, uh, get to, uh, do a little bit of, of traveling, uh, midsummer mm-hmm. to, uh, attend uh, some like a wedding to attend a wedding and stuff like that. So normal life things. Yeah, yeah, That's and, exciting. And, and, yeah, and done and in, in, you know slightly, uh, you know, <laughs> and done in, in different. You know what I mean? Like uh, tailored to the times. Sure. Uh, but yeah, really, really lovely to be able to, um, yeah, to to go see people that I love. You know, I mean, there's people I love here, but. Um, yeah, it's gonna be just waiting for that DC trip, and um, <laughs> me too. And I think it'll be fun. We should do a little um, group hangout session again, like we did that one time. Um, yes, community. I would love hangout. that. I would love that so much. I yes. wonder what we could do. We always talked about early on in our podcasting days. We talked about going dancing. <laughs> did we? Yeah. So like. When we were talking, because so we remember we were we were talking about Paleo FX and us being there, and then like, oh my goodness, you, yes. you said whatever going dancing or something, but oh yeah, oh jeez, just I actually just hit my microphone, um, as I was trying to adjust myself. I, I I'm not sure. I'm like, I, I don't have the stamina for that anymore. Like I can't go out for a night, but I think it. <laughs> This is yeah. thirty. This is thirty five. But I think that um, we could do something. We just like, like it. Like go out to eat. Yeah, or a picnic. Oh, so, that's cool. Uh, so like as many people could come. We wouldn't yeah, have to worry yeah, yeah, about like yeah. reservations and that's food true. sensitivities. <laughs> How many people? <laughs> We're a special like, group here. <laughs> we all. Have food. It'd be so funny. It'd be so. Well, yeah, you know, everybody yes. can bring. Yeah. So <laughs> bring your um, bring your own lunch, or we, <laughs> but we could provide food too. Um, exactly, or like something. Certain things. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, yeah, a picnic would be cool, or like a huge group hike or something. Um, Community hangout session. Yeah. Oh, a hike. So yeah. 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 Maybe. Something, something cool. Like that. That's about as close as I get to recreating. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a picnic a, a couple weeks ago with like three friends. You know, we can go outside with friends now. And um, we were texting about what to bring and different foods and stuff. And one of my friends was like, do you have a ball? I was like, a ball? <laughs> For what? Like, <laughs> recreating? I don't recreate. <laughs> Did somebody bring a ball, at least? Did no. they? Nobody brought a ball? I'm like, what do you even do? I don't even oh, understand. No. Oh no! What do you do with a ball? I was like, you I don't kick it around. I would you... like sit on the side and be imperious while you guys <laughs> recreate if you want. It's actually, I mean, you just put a ball in the atmosphere. I don't know. That seems like a metaphor for something. But if you, yeah, and you just you you just find things to do with it. I haven't when we're the one time like. I mean, I've always grown up with. I'm not. This is this gets too hairy. Uh, I'm like I've grown up with lots of balls. I I we always had basketballs and um you know, I always had a good uh football around to throw. But like growing up. But now with kids it's even more fun because I think we have just like so many different balls. And so when uh we went on vacation with my daughter when she was like one and a half or something. We at the resort they have balls that you know are for water play because it's a lot of pool stuff and you actually have little pools in front of your rooms um and so like my parents and i were kind of like you know at different rooms and so we were able to throw the ball back and forth and skid it on the water without like bothering other people it's not like we were like throwing balls back and forth although we did kind of get a little out of hand but um and it was fun i was like this is cool like i don't know it just like fun little play times of play like that are just man i feel like it's what our ancestors did like they were like let's chill and hang and like find fun things to do and ways to be creative with basic things and it's it's just nice i don't know and then of course you come back from vacation and you, you never do that again so whatever yeah yeah what um okay would you like to get into questions 
Yes. Okay. Question number one is from Colleen. She says, I've heard um, other NTPs share that eating three meals per day and not snacking is more optimal for gut health as it allows time for your food to digest better, I suppose. In efforts to intuitively eat, I don't want to restrict, but subpar digestion is the last factor that has me feeling 100%. Could you maybe shed some light on how eating more frequently impacts digestion? This is super interesting. I have spent a well, yeah, spent a fair amount of time thinking about uh, meal timing, and uh, Noelle has a really beautiful explication of this listed uh, in the notes. So I'll uh, wait for that. Um, I will say uh, that your it's a brief introduction. Your digestion. Division, uh, you know, it, it works its way through the food that you eat. It does have a pattern of uh, like wanting to go for a little while and then taking a break and then going again and take it like it, it's cyclical in, in that way. What I find really interesting is that there's a lot of things that influence this cyclical pattern. Meal timing is is one of them, of course, because depending on when you eat, you know, your your body may be primed at that point in time to go ahead and uh, have uh, efficient gut motility. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, when you're not eating, it sort of um, works its way through it completely. And then again, uh, and it's uh, nice to be able to swing through that. Other things that impact that uh, are, um, <laughs> the list is quite long. Um, stress can, of course, inhibit uh, your gut function, um, the motility, the like actual digestive processes, and uh, circadian rhythms, which is very interesting. I recently read that in a study that the uh, whether or not you're exposed to bright or to dim light during the day can impact like the amount of carbohydrate that uh, your body like will absorb moving uh, through your digestive tract. And so, hmm. while like meal timing, I think is is a relevant piece. It's certainly not the only piece. And so I would say uh, if if eating in three square meals works for you and your digestion feels healthy and your weight is not like weight, but, you know, you're not making conscientious efforts to try and tweak your metabolic things, your insulin resistance, all of those sorts of things. If you're not conscientiously trying to uh, manage those things and you're all, you're just feeling kind of easy peasy, then, it, you know, go for it. Uh, there's just, there's a, there's a ton of factors. And so dialing in any of them can help with digestion. Uh, but if you, you know, if you find that eating three meals a day doesn't work for you emotionally, uh, then okay. You know, and if your digestion is okay, great. And if you want to throw in some other sorts of things that you can do to optimize your gut function, uh, try to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day and eat reasonably early in the morning and um, see if you can, you know, uh, have some sort of 10 to 12 hour window over the course of sleep that your body can do this kind of gut clearing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of strategies, you know, monitoring your circadian rhythms, making sure that your stress is dialed in, um, keeping your caffeine kind of lower or earlier in the morning uh, or mid morning are some good windows for caffeine consumption. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to like throw in some other variables that can impact this um, because I, I like Noelle's, uh, I like Noelle's explanation. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass it to specifically about meal timing. I mean, I think you're right on like I, when it comes to your, your overall health and the health of a, of a, of a body and healthy digestion, meal timing is just so far down on the list. It's a tiny little tweak. But one thing that I think our culture loves to do is sort of take these tiny little tweaks and make them a huge deal and talk about them a lot because it's like, oh, this is the thing that's missing. Like, this is this. Look at this. This is like you should be doing this. And then people get, you know, sort of spun up about it and other little rules creep in. Like, well, also make sure that you're not drinking smoothies and also make sure that you're in. So it's like all these little tweaks that are kind of individual, 
not kind of, very individual, become, you know, gimmick, kind of gimmicky. And I don't think that I think a lot of NTPs have good um, intentions when sharing this kind of information. And it is there can be reasons for it. But I don't think it's information or advice that we should just give to everybody. I don't think it's right for everyone. So the recommendation is mostly made because of something known as the migrating motor complex. Sometimes this is just called MMC. Actually, everybody calls it MMC. So it's a cyclical reoccurring motor pattern that occurs in the stomach and small intestine in between meals. It's kind of like a cleaning mechanism for your digestive system. So it moves some of these undigested like food particles and bacteria through your GI tract. So having a little bit of time in between meals is great. As Stephanie mentioned, I also think having a good 10 to 12 hours overnight is good and is typically what most people in this community are doing. So we're, you know, most people are eating a solid, healthy, nutrient-dense meal for dinner and they go to bed and they wake up and they have, you know, maybe they eat at seven or eight and they wake up and then they eat at seven or eight the next morning. The idea to eat more frequently to speed up your metabolism. Uh, that's a myth, but more frequent meals can help people who are struggling with blood sugar issues, adrenal dysfunction, and just people who have a hard time getting in enough calories at your meals. So if you're an athlete and you're working out a lot, or you just have like a lower tolerance for food at, at meals, and eating snacks is what allows you to get to like meet your caloric needs, then that is the priority. If, however, you are prone to SIBO, so a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or you're really struggling with the digestive issues, leaving more time in between meals might be a good idea. Sarah actually talked about this. Sarah K. Hoffman talked about this in her episode all about digestion um, and how that's something that she has to intentionally do now. So those with SIBO are likely to get SIBO infections again and again. And those who experience SIBO may actually have nerve damage to their migrating motor complex, and they also may have some structural gut issues. So you need to, you'll need to eat more at your meals to make sure that you're getting sufficient energy and meeting your nutrient requirements if that's what you want to do. So if you've been kind of having this long withstanding digestive dysfunction, maybe you've been diagnosed with IBS and the root cause of that is SIBO and that SIBO keeps coming back or you're ha- it's like kind of it's like, you know, not going away. I would, this would be an area where I'd say, okay, let's make sure that you're getting plenty of food, that you're eating enough, that you're not feeling restricted and that you're getting You're having meals with more time in between those meals, maybe, you know, four hours in between each meal. Um, Also, you want to make sure that while you're doing this, you're not doing any sort of like high intensity workouts fasted, please, and that you're not skipping meals post-workout. So that was one of my favorite things about my interview with... um, all about why women are not small men with Dr. Stacey Sims, who is absolutely brilliant and very well-versed in women and training and nutrition. And she pretty much said, if you are going to do a high-intensity workout and you want to fast, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't work out. <laughs> so if you're going you're gonna to fast, don't do a workout within, in your fasting window. You need to eat before and eat after, um, especially, especially if you are prone to hormonal imbalances, hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, you, you need to eat before and after. So when you push your body too hard without food, you increase stress hormone levels and negatively impact that negatively impacts sex hormones. And then that will just hurt your fitness progress. Um, and I, yeah, um, that'll just leave you more susceptible to amenorrhea. Um, so listen to your hunger cues. That's always the priority for me. Um, so if you're hungry, eat. And then in these different scenarios, if you want to, you know, test it out and see if if having four solid hours in between your meals is helpful and just make sure you're getting that 10 to 12 hour window like overnight, um, see if that that helps. And also, I just loved my episode with um, Sarah all about digestion. 
she has some other really great suggestions that can help improve digestion and help improve motility. She recommended things like apple cider vinegar and bitter digestive bitters and even hydrochloric acid. Now, again, all of that needs to be done with a trusted medical practitioner, especially that hydrochloric acid supplementation or somebody who knows what they're doing. But all of that can actually help as well, too. So, um, okay. Anything to add, Steph? No, that was helpful. I just want to take a moment to remind you to go ahead and put on your blue blocks glasses. In the last few weeks, there have been days where I don't realize I'm not wearing my blue light blocking glasses while looking at screens. And if I don't have them on while just doing normal stuff, like working on my computer, my phone, and then at night watching a show with the kids, I am a disaster. I have horrible eye strain, headaches, nausea, and trouble sleeping. This is because blue Blue light is incredibly stimulating and can negatively impact your circadian rhythms. In 2021, I firmly believe proactively filtering out blue light with Blue Block's computer and their Sleep Plus glasses is an absolute necessity. The Blue Block's computer glasses filter out all the harsh blue light we experience when looking at our screens. They're clear, they don't have a color. And then the Sleep Plus glasses block all blue and green light between 400 nanometers to 550 nanometers, which is the exact range that has been shown in clinical trials to disrupt melatonin and negatively impact our sleep. To get our special 15% discount, go to blueblocks.com slash wellfed. That's blueblocks, so B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash wellfed. And then our code is wellfed at checkout. These glasses are super high quality. They are comfortable and they are stylish. I don't mind wearing them all day. I don't even realize I'm wearing them. I actually have three pairs because I'm extra, but I, I wanted a spare in case I lost mine, which has actually happened and it was awful. They were actually stuck in the couch cushions. Uh, I love the look of the frames. And if you need helping anything anything out, just come over to our Well-Fed Women Holistic Health community on Facebook and I can help. Again, that's blueblocks.com slash wellfed. And then use our code WELLFED for 15% off and you'll get free shipping worldwide. Question number two is from Allie. I'm curious about low progesterone levels before the menstrual phase. I have brown discharge spotting and super low energy a full week before my period and I'm sensing something is definitely off. I read this could be due to low progesterone. My OB had me on progesterone-only birth control, but I had a horrendous side effect with that. I have PCOS, but I've had it pretty in pretty good balance through diet and lifestyle up until my last pregnancy. I am currently six months postpartum. Do you think this is due to low progesterone or something else? Any supplements or ways to boost progesterone naturally? Okay. Low progesterone. Um, yeah, so this can... Uh, possibly be uh, related to what you're experiencing uh, briefly. So in the, throughout the menstrual cycle, uh, which generally thought of as occurring in two phases, which are split in the middle by ovulation. So in the first phase, the follicular phase, you are uh, building follicles, more or less, uh, follicular follicles. Uh, and this is a uh, tends to be thought of as a higher estrogen period uh, in the menstrual cycle and then and then you ovulate so here come eggs woohoo and then <laughs> um, and then your progesterone levels uh, rise and fall off if you have not uh, gotten pregnant while your eggs were doing the ovulating thing uh, and so the the drop off of of progesterone is is quite natural there's just this ebb and flow between estrogen and progesterone throughout the cycle uh low progesterone uh can happen or you can experience low progesterone if your body is running higher on estrogen because the two tend to balance one another so if you're running higher on estrogen that can uh provide some sort of experience of low progesterone and of course uh if you're low progesterone if, if, if your progesterone is just low right so both of those things can contribute um and of course it's very much worth mentioning that uh, the body produces uh, so much progesterone when it's pregnant 
um, the body is sort of amping up into uh, pregnancy at the end of a menstrual cycle. But then if it doesn't happen, it drops off again. And so uh, pregnancy is a pretty high progesterone time. And then it will uh, drop off more or less uh, when you give birth and resume production with the when you resume your menstrual cycles. And so there was a lot of flux there. Uh, there was a lot of uh, shifting in terms of estrogen and progesterone and hormones that we all just, uh, you know, require uh, some care and some patience, um, generally speaking. Uh, and of course, another big factor could be uh, a birth control pill. Um, all birth control pills have some amount of progesterone in them. This is what uh, prevents you from becoming uh, pregnant, and some have added estrogen. And so being on the pill can uh, mask what might otherwise be happening if you're not on it. And then, of course, coming off of it, your body can go through periods of uh, a period of adjustment in terms of becoming uh, resensitized, in terms of producing its own progesterone, that sort of thing. So, um, do I think your symptoms, do I think your experience is due to uh, low progesterone? Uh, could be. <laughs> it could be. Um, it could also be due to uh, estrogen dominance. It could be due to uh, excess of estrogen. Um, yeah. So, low progesterone can be caused. There's this... Um, thing that was uh, people used to talk about a lot. I haven't heard the phrase in a long time. Um, pregnenolone steel was uh, the phrase that we often used. And uh, pregnenolone is a precursor to progesterone, uh, as well as to uh, a hormone, a stress hormone produced by the adrenal glands called DHEAS and well, DHEA. And so uh, pregnenolone steel was the phenomena of the body diverting resources from creating progesterone into creating DHEA, which would uh, be for the sake of supporting you during a times of times of stress. And so you can end up having symptoms of low progesterone or uh, estrogen dominance kind of one in the same uh, in the in the same ballpark uh, because of this phenomena of the body just diverting resources from producing this hormone into uh, producing stress hormones to support you through times of stress. So there's a whole lot. Uh, this is probably, sorry, this is probably one of the most, uh, I think stress is one of the most common causes. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I love uh, that you, I love that you hit your mic too. It's like we're just hitting, <laughs> like in a hitting, hitting our mic space. Um, yeah. I just, yeah. Okay. And just to reiterate, like six months after pregnancy is, is, is really not, yeah. not a time mm -hmm. so i i was feeling that's straight up fatigued from i don't like props yeah. to all of you who like want to fix your problems that quickly <laughs> postpartum i just felt like i was one big complete disaster and i just couldn't even make heads or tails of it <laughs> so six months is still very very early um the lack of sleep could definitely be contributing to the cycle changes stress in and of itself affects the cycle and cycle changes the fact that your hormones are just starting to re-regulate and come back online is a thing so like my first period postpartum came back at like eight months postpartum when I night weaned and those first few cycles were kind of weird um, and annoying and just like all over the place and a little bit more painful and it was just things were getting back to normal and also i just believe that my progesterone was probably really low because i was sleep deprived and tired and trying to manage you know a newborn and a one-year-old and i just couldn't even think straight so um i will say that the number one contributor to reiterate what steph said is is too low progesterone is stress so the pregnenolone steel was a thought to, to i actually just looked at looked this up steph um the researchers found that that's not what happens so we, we don't have it's the same like the physiological uh, goodbye steph <laughs> no 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 the, forever. here's the thing it's sort of like adrenal fatigue where it's like well mm. it's still mm -hmm. happening it's just a, for, for a different reason so the idea was that there was like this pregnenolone pool so to speak and oh, right. like 
you were like the once stress started stress started stealing from the pool and then it was like the pool's dried up there's no more for you know sex hormones but really it's just your body will always choose survival over procreation so if you're Mm -hmm. in a serious time of stress your brain shifts and says start start prioritizing cortisol production and that's what it prioritizes so it's not like yeah it's not like we're it's the body's stealing right anything. there's a limited supply right yeah. but the but the brain is saying Whoop, new focus the stress response and i think that this is unfortunately one thing that a lot of women just don't consider and they're not told that i mean i've known many people within my family and community who they're like wow i have low progesterone like what's causing that oh nothing nothing at all does stress impact? Nope, nope, doesn't impact it at all. And I think that if you go to an integrative practitioner um, or clinic, um, midwifery group, a lot of them understand and they know that and they know that stress definitely impacts your period. It definitely impacts your cycle and it definitely impacts your hormones. And there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of research on how progesterone is impacted by cortisol and stress. So the, it's there um, and it's clear. But it's just not well known. So, um, and then Steph mentioned estrogen dominance. And just to clarify, like if your estrogen levels are too high, so for example, you're being exposed to too many xenoestrogens, maybe through skincare products, cleaning products, um, heavy metals can actually have estrogenic effects. Maybe you are, um, you, you, again, you're just, you're kind of at, you're adding a little bit too much estrogen to your like your amount but you're also not properly excreting it from your body that can lead to estrogen dominance so too much estrogen in the body which can then give you symptoms of low progesterone however that can also manifest in a different way which is you actually have low progesterone so progesterone drops meaning estrogen stays a little bit too high and then you're getting those symptoms again. So it could be because of too much estrogen or it could be because of too low progesterone. And so that's really important when we're trying to fix the underlying causes. Okay, do we need to help estrogen be eliminated and remove some of these exposures to xenoestrogens or are we really just dealing with a low progesterone issue here, which by and large is caused by stress? So... um. Main symptoms, I, I, I'm not totally convinced that you have low progesterone, but the main symptoms are PMS, sleep issues, brain fog, definitely low libido, and yes, spotting. So as Steph said, spotting is typically because, um, it, like, y- essentially the uterine lining builds up too much, and then so you start to get that shedding just a little bit early. But also spotting can actually be caused by stress because it can delay or halt ovulation, and then that can cause your uterine lining lining to become too thick and shed too early. So, but also those two things kind of work together, right? Stress, large progesterone, both of those things together independently can cause spotting. Another thing that can be caused, like can cause spotting is an underactive thyroid. So honestly, when I read your question in the beginning, I was thinking, seems like a thyroid issue. And because you're postpartum, um, a lot changes with the thyroid for women during pregnancy. And I've done a lot of different thyroid interviews. And the recommendation um, through and through is always get a full thyroid panel postpartum. Six months, six months, six weeks postpartum if you can. But even then, checking it at different intervals, you know, three, six, maybe a year postpartum just to see where you're at. Because stress impacts the thyroid, right? Uh, if you're having dealing with some adrenal dysfunction, that's going to negatively impact your thyroid. But you may have actually kind of developed some some thyroid issues, which then is causing the, the spotting. So get a full thyroid panel if you can. Definitely look also at antibodies on your um, with your thyroid. You can do this with Paloma Health if you want. It is an at-home test kit. And then... You've got to manage stress. <laughs> it's hard when you have a six-month-old, but you have to. Your number one priority is sleep, which is very hard to come by with kids. I know, but there are things and tweaks that you can do to be getting to bed early, to be working with your partner so that you can sleep in a little bit more, or that you 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 um, work together on the night wakings. Um, 
make sure you're wearing your blue block glasses and you are creating an environment that allows you to sleep when you need to sleep and, you know, get out, get some sunshine first thing in the morning, go for walks, get fresh air, prioritize eating enough um, gentle movement, zinc, magnesium, B6, vitamin C. Zinc, magnesium, B6, vitamin C, all of those are really helpful for, for progesterone. Vitamin C actually has been shown to boost progesterone levels and restore, sorry, and resolve uh, luteal phase defects. And then also get magnesium breakthrough. Um, magbreakthrough.com slash wellfed, I think is our link. Magnesium is crucial for both supporting the stress response and it's been found to resolve PMS symptoms and help with hormone balance. So definitely su supplement with that as much as you can. Okay. Last question is from Kristen. I love your podcast. It's truly helped me to think outside the small box presented as the healthy approach to life and healthy body type, as if there was just one way. I'm 36. I have given birth to seven children. I am learning to love my body, but would love to see the areas you might direct as I still struggle. I've always been curvy. My daughter is 15 and built just like me, making me realize how far back my body issues go. As a teen, I was told I was, in quotations, overweight on the church the same way she is. I've been very careful to shield her, make sure no doctors ever say she's overweight in front of her. But for me, I've always heard it. I'm unhealthy according to the BMI chart. Even yesterday when I went with my doctor for the first time, her response was that I looked amazing and she couldn't believe I'd had seven children. I say all of this to say, I know my hormones are balanced. I do have some health issues with my gut I'm working through with a doctor, but otherwise I have no reason to believe my body isn't working in its prime, yet I still have constant conversations with myself about eating less, watching watching what time it is, and I constantly have to have a battle in my head to get over what my arms look like in a photo or stop letting me letting my happiness be related to how overweight or trim I feel. What tips do you have for someone who knows things are in their head, but is tired of the mental battle? Are there specific ways you talk to yourself or encourage others to, to get past this and accept it? Sometimes I wish instead of a chart saying overweight or obese, it could look at me as a person, what I weighed as a kid, my frame, my life, and just tell me healthy versus relating my weight to the health. I can't get past the idea mentally that I'm not truly healthy because of this overweight, in quotations, label. Yet I know if I fell in the normal range, I would be so unhealthy, weighing less than I did as a teen, and I can't help but imagine my hormones and health would suffer. Thank you. This should have been an episode. I will start by feel free to jump in at any time. With yeah, your, we, can, we can go back with and your, forth. With your waterfall of thoughts, your abounding <laughs> thoughts. Um, <laughs> I want to start um, by saying but that uh, how we define things and the language we use does matter, right? And you're talking about uh, what's normal and what's not normal. Uh, and the concept of overweight, I try really – I don't frame it as overweight in my head. I usually – use language of higher body fat percentages or lower body fat percentages. And that's a mouthful. And maybe you can think of one that's uh, different for you. But the point is that they're over what, right? Over what, under what? Everybody is is bio-individual. And we have to remember that. Like this is, this is accurate, this reframing, right? How we define our bodies matters, right? And we are constantly bumping into language that isn't suitable to the way uh, we want to live and be and communicate with one another. And so reframing that kind of language is uh, really important, right? Um, the idea of what's normal and what's healthy and the associations that we have, you know, the connotations of healthfulness with thinness are just like blatantly uh, radically uh, wrong. Uh, of course, there are correlations uh, between certain health issues and body fat percentage. There are, but uh, that doesn't because just because those are correlations doesn't. That's there's not necessarily a causal link, and for that applies to everybody. 
everybody is is bio-individual and testing and seeing what's under the hood uh, is one way to assure yourself to think about, to look at your healthfulness, uh, regardless of what the scale says. And so that's uh, really important and really important for framing how you think about these conversations in society. Secondly, the way that we think about who we are matters so much and can radically change what you think and feel when you look, for example, at a photo of yourself or you're having conversations with other people about yourself and they're hearing what you're saying about yourself and think, you know, interpreting it, all this sort of stuff. So one thing that has been very helpful for me and I have seen be helpful for other people is Building into your identity the fact that you will not, that you refuse, you have pride in the fact that you are not letting yourself be defined by these false categories, by this uh, culture we have that is in some ways intentionally designed to make us feel bad about ourselves, right? Like, I will not cave to this. That is uh, sort of when you weave that into your self-image into your concept of yourself when you see a body that doesn't cohere to the norm it's a little bit easier to be like oh heck yeah like this is me and I'm doing my thing and I'm being loyal to myself and is it hard because it's against the grain kind of but you could <laughs> yes but you can surround yourself with people and with images and with social media accounts uh, that have a similar perspective as you that take your empowerment uh, into this mode, into how you're thinking about yourself, into how you're communicating, into the values that you're embodying. The the image of, of who I want to be and the priorities I want to have uh, and, and merging myself with that, right? I consider it uh, my mission, uh, like a noble thing, to undertake this, not just for the sake of myself, but for like everybody and to orient myself towards uh, doing service and being kind. And, uh, you know, of course, like these things can still press on us because the societal messaging is huge, but building up concepts of self that are, have nothing to do with size and have everything to do with, uh, being uh, impactful and brave, you know, brave is a really good one for a lot of reasons. And specifically with respect to this, because it, yeah, you know, it, it takes courage to make changes and it takes courage to attempt to live in a way that you're feeling, you know, you're feeling pushed in another direction. And so like the foundational pieces is sort of rewriting these narratives about who you are and flipping the script and, weaving it so tightly into who you are that the the stuff that you encounter on a daily basis it bounces off a little bit more and it's it takes time and and you learn and finally one last thing I'll say is no I want to say two and I might forget but I'm going to try um <laughs> orienting yourself uh towards something that's that's so important important, right? That this becomes less important. And I, it's been particular for everybody. And again, I'm not saying that, oh, you just like have to like care about this thing and then all your other cares will go away. Uh, and no, you know, but it can be another, another piece of, of the puzzle. And then, uh, you know, in terms of just pushing the importance of this down. Uh, and finally, uh, I think a lot about I've heard a lot of people say, and I think a lot about what I might say in 30, 40, 50 years, right? And and I try so hard to live in a way that I won't look back and, and regret it. And especially moving into like my middle, my middle adult years, I just so much, I so much don't want a negative self-talk to be a, I don't want to look back and have that be something that like, negatively impacted my life. You know, I want to, I want to be able to, I, I want to be really joyful. And yeah. there have been like such long, large swaths of time in my life where 
if I have like, quote unquote, not been good or quote unquote, you know, uh, been eating too much or all that sort of stuff. And I wake up in the morning and it can could cast a negative pall over my entire day. And I so badly don't want that to be the case. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we have so many hard things and the life is full of so much complexity and pain that like I the, just thinking about how much I want to be free of that helps me in some ways, like be free of that. Like it, you know, and people tell me all the time, like, you're going to look back and be like, what was I, you know, like how I was so, you know, like I've spent my whole life I letting that uh, weigh me down. And I just, I, I don't want it to be. So th- those are just some pieces of how I and some people I know deal with this. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think I don't want to get to my life at the end of my life when I'm, you know, let's say 70 or even 60 or 50 and just say to myself, gosh, I, I wish I would have spent more time worrying about my thighs yeah. or like worrying about this little saggy skin on my arm. You know, I really wish I would have spent more time hating myself and worrying about that because in the end, it means absolutely nothing. And I can tell you whether you have it or you don't, that doesn't really uh, impact your fulfillment and your happiness long term. And it's not what your life's purpose is. So I just want to say up front before I get into my uh, my BMI stuff which I think is a, is a good way to talk through some of that, because what it seems like is you keep defining yourself and you keep thinking health is defined by this specific chart. And so if we're able to debunk this chart, I think that you will have a little bit of freedom from it. I do want to say before I, I jump into that is that having these constant conversations with yourself saying, oh, maybe I should be eating less or checking your body size in the mirror. How many of us walk past a mirror and kind of look at whatever we don't like about ourselves? Check it out. Well, how's my stomach looking today? Um, or just like scrolling through your newsfeed and being like, man, maybe I should just like cut my calories or cut out this or do this or biohack some fat cells or whatever. That is normal. It is normal for all of us to see and experience that on a daily basis because we live in this society. So nobody, maybe some people do, but even Steph and I, these are thoughts and feelings that pop up. Yet we are able to separate that thought and feeling from ourselves and from us needing to do it. So we are able to talk through and say, okay, I get why I'm feeling that. I see what's happening here. But also, like, I don't have to do that. (laughs) So I'm cool with not doing it. And I'm choosing not to. And I know, like, what that would do. And I know the end result. And sure, I might lose five pounds. It will likely come back, won't make me happier. And I will likely be unhealthy. So I can acknowledge that and move past the thought as opposed to letting that thought become a part of me and, and, like, you know, taking hold of my day and my self-worth and it becoming a part of me. I can separate it. So I think that you're not failing. I just want you to know you're not failing. Nobody, anybody listening, you're not failing if you still have these thoughts. It's very normal because we exist in this culture where that is all that is, you know, the conversation is about specifically when it comes to health. Um, What I wanted to get into and I'm excited to talk about briefly is the BMI. So here's a little background on the BMI. Now, I have talked about the BMI before, but just not, I haven't really dug in deeply. And I think getting some background information about the BMI will really help us see past it and not use this as a tool for like, this is the way to assess our health because it's not. So the BMI is extremely outdated. It was invented in 1830 and was originally used for like population studies and it was not meant for to to actually study and look at a specific individual's health so the person who dreamed up the bmi was actually a mathematician not a doctor not a nutritionist not a registered dietitian a mathematician He wanted to give a quick and easy way, red flag in quotations, quick and easy way to measure the weight of a population to allocate government resources. So he explicitly said that it could not and should not be used to indicate the health of an individual or their body fat. Number one. Number two. It scientifically makes no sense. So there is no reason to square a person's height. So 
This mathematician, he couldn't get the data to work, so he rigged the formula by making the height squared. The BMI calculation, if you don't know, divides an adult's weight in kilograms by their height in meters squared. He couldn't get the data to work, so he just changed, he rigged the formula. No reason for it. Number three, the BMI completely ignores the proportions of bone and muscle and fat in the body. So bone is actually denser than muscle and twice as dense as fat. So I know this is another thing I wanted to address. I'm sure a lot of you heard, muscle weighs more than fat. Um, that's also a myth. It's good old broad science right there. A pound of muscle and a pound of fat, they weigh exactly the same thing. <laughs> they weigh a pound. Muscle is denser, so it takes up less space in comparison to body fat. So most, most athletes or people who, you know, lift weights or are very muscular, maybe people are just more genetically predisposed to build more muscle, they will be overweight on the BMI scale. Uh, number four, the CDC says on their site that the BMI is a reliable indicator of body fatness for people. This is a fundamental error in logic. I know, shocking. I saw this example from an article in NPR, and it's brilliant to kind of just show you how this is just a huge error of logic. So, if I tell you my birthday present is a scooter, you can conclude that my present has wheels. That's correct logic. But it does not work the other way around. So if I tell you my birthday present has wheels, you cannot conclude I got a scooter. I could have received a, a number of things that have wheels, like a car or a bicycle. So the formula as created by the mathematician was to say, if a person is obese, he or she will have a high BMI. But as with my birthday present, it doesn't work the other way around. So a high BMI does not mean an individual is overweight, let alone obese. A person could still be very fit and healthy and muscular or just fine. The BMI classifies that many people so lar what it, it incorrectly, I think, classifies that like a large portion of the population who don't have any underlying health issues, who are healthy or, you know, they're fit as overweight, um, not in the normal or healthy range or even obese. And it suggests that there are these distinct categories of underweight and ideal and overweight and obese with these sharp boundaries that hinge on a decimal place. So you could go up or down by five pounds and all of a sudden be normal and now all of a sudden be in this overweight category. And that's not how health works. You don't lose five pounds. We all know you could do unhealthy things to lose that five pounds, right? You could put on a sweatsuit and go outside and run and sweat your, your butt off and not eat for a couple days. And now all of a sudden you're more healthy. Now you're in the normal range. No, it's not how it works. And unfortunately, insurance companies are still using this as a reason to charge people higher premiums and doctors sort of use it as a cop out. So they'll say, oh, well, you just need to lose weight as opposed to actually listening to a person's issue and seeking out root causes and helping people with the issues that they're dealing with. I've heard this time and time again, where somebody will go in and, you know, to their doctor and say, I'm, I'm having X, Y, and Z issue. I'm feeling a lot of fatigue. I don't know what's going on. Can we check my thyroid? Well, you're overweight or you're obese on the BMI scale, so you should probably just lose weight. And I think that's a huge disservice to uh, people in general, women in, in particular, um, because nobody's now a doctor is overlooking their condition simply because of their weight. And there could be a lot of underlying root causes to explore, including thyroid issues or hormone imbalances or gut dysfunctions or adrenal dysfunction, why somebody's feeling a wide variety of symptoms. So um, use other assessment tools. There are so many things that you can use to assess your health. And it honestly sounds like you're already doing that. You know, you know that you feel good. You know, your hormones are in balance. I, I think other really helpful things that I, so I don't, I don't have any regard for the BMI. I'm actually overweight according to the BMI scale. Um, and I don't care. <laughs> so, yes, I don't care. I don't care. I have always been. Um, and and just like you, when I starved myself and lost my period and finally got into this like normal range, um, 
I was the most unhealthy that I've ever been in my life. So I love where I don't care about the BMI. I love where I'm at. I don't love it when I have chronic back pain. I don't love it when I have sleep issues. Um, and so I use that. I, I use, hmm, how's my sleep? How's my anxiety? as health markers. I use, you can get biomarkers, like inflammatory markers in blood work. You can test that. You can test your metabolic health, which I do. You can test nutrients and nutrient deficiencies. You can test your hormones. You can test cortisol rhythms. You can test your thyroid. Um, But other than that, like, where's your mental health? How's your fatigue? How's your digestion? How's your food tolerance? Um, Where's your period at? What's your cycle like? Where are your fitness and strength goals? How's your chronic pain? Um, All of those are way better at assessing overall health and the health of your body and how it's functioning, not what some mathematician created and putting yourself on a chart. So you can just ball it up and throw it out and decide, okay, how what do I want to feel moving forward? And then use those as ways to assess your health. And I will acknowledge, again, it's hard, like living in this society that's so image focused. um, It's hard not to be to I mean, getting wrapped up in that does not ever lead to satisfaction or happiness long term because health fluctuates and weight fluctuates. And that's very normal. It's very normal for a woman's body to fluctuate and adjust according to her cycles, according to, you know, pregnancy, age, stress, all the things. And that's a beautiful thing. Our body moves and adapts. Um, our weight was never meant to be obsessively tracked. <laughs> it's just not as th- that's something that, you know, only happened more recently. And so you don't have to, we can acknowledge that it exists without letting it control us and absolutely removing those influences from your life, which would say that that's the most important thing about you, that your weight and your fat cells and um, how many calories you consume and what your fasting window was and if you're a vegan or if you're a, like all of those like like things that people say are the most important thing about you, um, you can remove them from your life and instead pursue in what is important to you and like in your family. And for certain, like <laughs> taking care of seven kids is a lot. So like, gosh, I, it's like supporting your energy levels, making sure you feel good, making sure that you can you you feel happy around your kids. <laughs> Cause like when you're tired, like I know when I'm tired and I'm not feeling good and I'm not, I haven't eaten enough. I'm not I, I'm I'm a crabby mom. And so just being like, you know, assessing your own um like how you're feeling and how you're reacting and making sure you're not hangry and all the things is really important too. Do you have any other thoughts? Because I know there was so much here, but now we're so over. Uh, I feel like, no, I feel like we've been pretty thorough. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I think that this is really important for your daughter too. And and what an amazing thing that you're able to kind of mm-hmm. teach her a different, a different way of seeing herself and her body and what it's capable of. Um, keep her off of TikTok. <laughs> yeah. You just know, kidding. and you make, and- I'm sure you're making good parenting decisions. I just hate, I like every time I get on TikTok as a 35 year old, I'm like, oh my gosh. Just feel yeah. terrible, terrible about myself. Yeah. So, and, and, and I mean, Instagram is hard for me, you know, like mm-hmm. they know exactly what to sh- that search page. Like, I just want to find my friends, you know, <laughs> I just want to find, <laughs> I just find my friends and, and, um, you know, like, and everybody's relationships are different, but you can have intentional conversations about the kind of messaging that exists in the world that we live in. And your experience, you know, like being transparent about that sort of thing. It, again, like everybody's relationships are different. Um, but uh, generally speaking, like, yeah, you know, it uh, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to do what we can to surround ourselves and the people around us um, with you know, with be you know empowered with knowledge and and, yeah. and equipped and equipped to um, face these kinds of things because it it does like it saturates our world, um, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse. So I don't know. Like I just I really admire this. You know what mm-hmm. you're doing. So. Yeah, and Kristen, I know you said I sometimes I wish just instead of a chart saying overweight or obese, it could look at me as a person. 
um, the, the BMI chart, again, was never designed to do that. And so I think when we really think about, like, like you have the power to do that. You can look at yourself and say, okay, let me look at my situation. And a health practitioner that you, you know, respect and, and can team up with. Like, I feel like every woman should have some sort of holistic practitioner, whether it's from a midwifery group or it's an OB or it's your primary care physician. You should have somebody on your side that's able to help you and guide you or a nutritional therapy practitioner who's able to look at functional labs and all that kind of stuff. You need to have somebody on your side that can help you as you have these questions and pull blood work as, as you go through your life because at some points in your life you're going to need some testing like i just did a gi map test because i'm having this weird reaction to something you know under my eyes so i'm like hmm, something's a little off i need a test so i go to dr becky and i say hey i need this test something's off um and so i think that that's important but you are the only person you are the person that it gets to assess your health nobody gets to tell you based on a chart created in the 1800s whether you are healthy or not you get to create that relationship with yourself and your health and and create what things you need to assess and and where you're falling on any given day so um i think we should just all you know create your own chart is basically what i'm saying um yeah yeah okay yes okay Thanks for being here with us. Uh, for more from Stephanie, you can follow her at stephanie.ruper on the Insta and follow all of her uh, adventures and travels. By the time this comes out, you may be traveling, so it'll be fun um, to see you back in the States. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com and again, join our Well-Fed Women Holistic Health Community on Facebook. Make sure you answer the questions and um, tell me that you found us through the podcast so that I know you're not a spammer. Thanks, guys. Love you, mean it. We'll talk to you next week.